0: Oh, and welcome to another episode of Playing in the Sandbox Conversations and Pedagogy. I am Katherine Troyer, and I am delighted to once again be joined by Lauren Malone.
1: Hi, everyone. <laughs>
0: We decided to do a slightly more focused topic for today's podcast episode, and that is to focus on one specific tool that you can use uh, both uh, as an instructor to bring in content, but also to help students um, create coursework in your class. And that is podcasting. So we're going to go a little meta and have a podcast on podcasting. And we'll start by looking at some of the reasons that that both Lauren and I have incorporated podcasting into our own classes and the rich potential that this medium has, as well as some examples of of actual practical ways you can bring it in from little tiny uh, in-class activities to larger, um, you know, over the course of the semester group work type projects. So for me, I think one of the most interesting things about podcasting Um, is that it allows academic work to become more accessible because you're you're purposefully creating a podcast that is going to be for usually uh, different communication landscapes than, say, a research paper. Um, Podcasting is meant to be something that, that anyone can appreciate, that you don't usually have to be an expert in the field, which is not always true for for the research papers that we encourage our students to write. So it can make academic work more accessible because students have to think very cognitively um, about who they're creating this for. But also you can ask them to say, okay, I would like for you to involve examples of analysis in here, uh, synthesis and paraphrasing. And so it kind of teaches them to, to teach, right, in a, in a really uh, very real respect. And I think that's an incredible power that podcasts have.
1: Absolutely, um, and another really good thing about podcasts is it gives us it gives our students a way in. So we talk a lot about um, in things like literature, own voices, and making sure there's authentic representation of diverse communities and diverse languages and that sort of thing. But podcasts can be a really interesting way of doing this in the education world. So um, a lot of times, what happens is we have our reading set and they might be um, journalistic readings or science papers, but a lot of times it's really in academic speak. Um, and so a lot of the students have a really steep learning curve or maybe just don't even have that feeling like they belong in this space because they're not seeing um, the way that they speak or the way that they write as academic enough. But podcasting gives them a way of both hearing and producing content that is really authentic to who they might be themselves and the linguistic traditions that they come from and those sorts of things. So it gives students that way of seeing that, yes, you can have something that's from your background and sounds like you and sounds like where you come from. and that is super academic and really uh, worthwhile in terms of research.
0: I think that's so beautiful. I, I remember for a long time thinking that how I wrote creatively needed to be really separate from how I wrote academically. And then I realized that actually the two could be in, enhanced by thinking about the ways that they connect. And, and so letting students see that, giving them that sense of, of authenticity, but also affirmation. I mean, that's just so beautiful. And And what that can do is, is that it can help them to learn how to articulate differently for different audiences. One of the great things about podcasts is that there are podcasts meant for just about every range of, of people uh, in a way that, that is very different from a lot of work that's produced uh, academically. And so you can help students to say, okay, well, how do you explain this concept for different types of audiences? Um, and and why is it important to the, to the audience? And how can you communicate that in sound? And that's that's something that I, I don't know if we always, I know I'm guilty of not always helping my students to think about audiences beyond me as the greater, um, but it's really hard to, to create a podcast and to not be thinking, well, who's my target audience? Uh, and so that's really an impactful way to, to bring in audience significance.
1: And it also expands their toolkit in terms of engaging in multimodal or digital creativity and expression. And so it gives them ways of, again, like you said, kind of tying together the creative and the research halves of their their brains, but also figuring out ways to kind of communicate the relationship between content and form in, in maybe ways that they haven't thought of before. So if you're using podcasts in terms of creating one in a class, then it helps if the students are um, thinking about, okay, well, what is it going to do to the delivery of this super hard science concept, or of this particular period of history, if I add some background music? What's it going to do if I add sound effects? What's it going to do if I'm just here talking to you without anything else going on? Um, and so that idea of how we actually shape um, shape the content that we create, um, and thinking about stylistic choices, not as, you know, the cherry on top of the cupcake, but as something that's a part of the production in a really integral way is, you know, really important as well.
0: And by asking our students to draw on, um, to to really pay attention to to elements of form that they might not have otherwise, right, like adding the sound effects, Um, it also helps draw attention to the things that they're still being asked to do that they've been asked to do prior, right? So um, podcasting something that they may have traditionally put into a lab report or into a paper or something like that. By podcasting it, suddenly they have to think about this process of, of learning and articulation in a slightly different way. So much like many of us um, sort of may tune out just a little bit when we drive because we've kind of fallen into the pattern of driving. If we suddenly shifted to driving, say, a Zamboni, um, we're going to notice things uh, differently, right? Even though it's the same, I assume, basic mechanism. So it can just really help students to think, oh, you know what? I'm not actually as good about creating transitions as I thought I was, or, oh, look, my part where I explain why the significance of this um, experiment, I could do that better. Uh, And so that's really interesting too.
1: So you probably have some questions or maybe some concerns, if this is new, um, about getting started and the most effective ways to kind of incorporate these things into your class. But first we wanna talk to you and get you excited about some of the potential in the podcasting world. Um, So we're gonna share some ideas with you uh, from small low stakes ones to um, larger projects about some things you could do to tie podcasting into your classroom
0: one thing that you could do that is sort of low stakes both in terms of uh, for the students but also in terms of for you if you're feeling like you're kind of trying to just figure out where you are in terms of podcasts um is to to have students start analyzing podcasts so guaranteed that one of the best parts about them is that there is a podcast on the topic that you want to teach any topic pick a topic. Lauren, name some of the, the, like, most unusual topics of podcasts you've listened to recently.
1: Oh, man. Unusual topics? Yes. Um, I listened to one on mirror eggs. So there's this bird that lays eggs on cliffs and they look cool, like alien-shaped sort of things. And the podcast was on how this whole entire uprising started because of these eggs. (gasps) Oh, that's so cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember somebody telling me that they listened to an entire episode about how how purposeful the construction of um, lamp posts in various cities was, uh, which I didn't hadn't really thought about that. But apparently, there's a moving uh, podcast episode about it. So there's just anything, right, that you can think of, and so something that you could do that would help your students to understand what makes for a valuable podcast in terms of the elements of content and form that Lauren was talking about would be to just have them analyze podcasts um, and to do reflections or some of the more traditional um, analyses of texts um, and sources that you have your students do normally, um, but have them do it on podcasts. And so they would not just be evaluating um, the information that they're learning, but also how effectively the episode or series manage to convey that through sound effects um, and whether or not it's a solo person talking or a group, things like that.
1: And another one is cue the frozen music. Do you wanna build a podcast? Um, So taking the students through the actual steps of building a podcast in class. And so um, a lot of students have listened to podcasts. They have their favorites. You're gonna have your 99% invisible stands and all of that good stuff. But a lot of them haven't. So um, it's kind of hit or miss who is gonna be in your class in terms of their familiarity with podcasts. But even the ones who listen to them quite often, um, won't exactly grasp how much work goes into building a podcast. And so um, it also takes them a while to stop hating their voices. If
0: they ever do. Yeah,
1: if they ever do. Some of them never get over it. But yeah, yeah. So it takes them a while to get used to hearing themselves um, on a recording. And so taking them through the steps in class can help Um, start that learning process. Um, And so one of the things that I do with my students is I have two of them come to the front and we have a debate over something absolutely ridiculous and we record it. And so the great R Pop-Tarts ravioli debate Which I hadn't heard about until you mentioned it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, Like, and then my world was shaken a little. Can you explain what that debate is? So one side has to argue that Pop-Tarts are, in fact, ravioli because they are bread that is stuffed with stuff. And the other side has to argue that, no, they are not. And so... um, sometimes there's nuance and sometimes it just de-escalates into nonsense. The last time I ran it, it de-escalated into nonsense and it turned into you're un-American if you think that pop tarts are ravioli. (laughs) So, so, um, but it's fun, it's fun. And it's a good way of, uh, you know, getting them over their fear of the microphone. Um, same way you would have to get them over their, the fear of the camera. Um, and so having them record that, And then before we even listen to it, I'll take students into a smaller room or I'll do this beforehand and have students come into our sound booth. Um, And I'll have them record a similar debate, a similar kind of silly low stakes thing. But then we'll listen to them as a class and we'll talk about all of the nuance. So what happens when we're recording in a big room with tile flooring and you're all spaced out so we can hear every single cough and every single time someone taps their pencil versus when we do have a really nice sound booth with nice microphones um, and it's only the two of you in there and that sort of thing. And so we talk about those things, but then the next step is to say, okay okay, well, what about theme music? What's our podcast going to look like? What's our brand? Um, If you put it on iTunes versus Stitcher versus SoundCloud, what are the different audiences that you're going to hit? And all of the different things that kind of go through um, thinking through what your podcast is going to be. And then the actual production. So the editing, um, the uploading and all of that, how long it takes, because that's definitely something that students will vastly underestimate how long it takes to edit and how long it takes to actually upload and get it onto the internet to where it's coming up on Apple, uh, on Apple podcasts or whatever app they're using. Um, so going through all of those steps in one class or two classes, um, especially if it's going to be something where you are more focused on the analysis side of things and maybe they aren't going to be producing a podcast for a major assignment. Um, this can be something, a way to kind of build it in, uh, with your course content. If you don't want to use the silly pop tarts versus ravioli debate, um, that gets them into analysis, uh, but also using those tools.
0: And what I like about doing that, um, activity together is that not 100%, but, but the chances of you having at least one student in your class who's, who's done this before, um, is pretty high and they might have, uh, tips or suggestions, um, that you can bring in. Or I just watched a video, um, on Twitch that was people, it was the weirdest thing, watching, um, a YouTuber. As just as he edited his video, he wasn't even talking, he was just editing it. Um, and it was, you know, like five hours of content that he edited down to about 20 minutes, um, or it took him five and a half hours to edit down to about 25 minutes of content. And, and so our students are watching things like that, um, so they can help kind of contribute to it. But I understand that one of the, even as I was listening to you, Lauren talk about like all the steps that were involved, I was like, oh, Maybe I don't want a podcast after all. That sounds like so much work. But one thing that you can do is, is remember that like not all podcasts are, are created equal, both in terms of um, how much is done in post or even pre-production and in terms of length. So Scientific American has these, quote, 60-second science podcasts that average about two to four minutes when you add in the music and they're like, thank you for joining us. But it is an entire topic that is covered in about 90 seconds worth of, of information, Um, So you could spend just one class period having students create flash podcasts, where you say, I want you to take this topic and distill it down into this minute long, two minute thing, either in a group or individually. And I've done this and there's this frenetic energy that is, it's just so exciting actually. It's because they get really eager to do it and they understand that like the stakes are low because it doesn't have to be perfect. But for some reason that makes them more excited to do it. Um, So if you don't feel like expanding it out to its full thing, Uh, the one class flash is still a great idea.
1: You can also use podcasting as a way to work in group work. So if you have a project-based class um, or uh, a class where you need to have them do group work, this is a good way to do it. Um, This is also a good way to bring in student interest because if you know that group A is really, really excited to talk about interest A and group B wants to talk about interest B, um, you can kind of sort students that way. And so have them have them all you know excited to get to explore their topic, but it's also a good way of kind of kind of working around the normal group work issues that might come up in terms of um, people you know not pulling their weight, and so um, making it really clear who has the pre production roles of getting stuff ready of organizing the research of writing the scripts Who who's going to be the host maybe not everyone wants to be on mic um, but that's okay as long as they're contributing in other ways to the podcast so who's going to host um, who is going to maybe do interviews if it's an interview based project that they're bringing to life um, who's going to be the editor who's going to take lead on making sure everything sounds good and that sort of thing and then how are they delivering it right and so All of the pre and post production stuff, all of the actual um, recording stuff breaking that into their group roles and getting them really solid on how everyone fits together and how everyone is going to contribute and then also that helps you because if they come to you and say hey um, our pre-production person fell down on their job and you know we still need to get scripts together or whatever it is that's kind of an easier way for you to keep track as well of who might not be pulling their work and that sort of thing Um, but the the biggest thing about having those different roles is it differentiates the project itself so that students can play to their strengths.
0: Have you ever required everyone in the group to have to,
1: to speak? No, I haven't. I've encouraged it and most groups will, um, but I haven't required it. And the ones who don't, the ones who take you up on staying silent but working, I've never had one who just slacked off. I've only ever had, now I've had some hosts slack off because they're like, well, I'm hosting the show. So obviously I don't have to think about anything else. And it's like, well, yeah, you do. Here are the rest of your responsibilities. But the ones who don't want to talk generally go above and beyond in terms of making sure you know that they are working. And so it might be in terms of they're the ones putting together the scripts and I've had students give like, um, give audio feedback about the scripts that the rest of the group is putting together, and giving suggestions about, hey, maybe we put this section after this section or something like that. Um, so they do they do a lot uh, the quiet ones to kind of make sure things are running behind the scenes, and I think that it's an it's a compensation, right? Like they know that the extroverts kind of rule the world and are the ones who are going to be seen doing the work. Mm -hmm. So they make sure that, you know, we know they put in a good effort too.
0: So let me ask another question, um, because it's something you said, I think is really important and that is that not all aspects of of the process are are equal, right? Um, And particularly, this is true also for, or maybe even especially for um, video projects, right? You never just want one person to be entirely in charge of editing and then everyone else is r- responsible for bringing a prop right like or something like that <laughs> uh-huh. because editing uh, you know is so time consuming so do you how do you help students who haven't done this before to kind of understand the amount of work and time involved so that they're, you know nothing can be entirely equitable or actually that's not true nothing can be equal but things can be equitable so how do you help students to kind of understand the time commitment and the responsibilities for the various stages they might employ.
1: Well, I I build in podcasting to my entire semester, so I will preface it with that because we do spend a lot of time on what it takes to build a podcast. Um, so going through that, do you wanna build a podcast exercise a couple of times, but also just um, being really clear when you're going through the assignment of, here are the different steps but here is this broken down into micro tasks, right? Um, so they understand that it's no, it's not just, okay, Billy's gonna edit. It's that Billy has to sit at a computer and like take out every time one of you clicked your mouse because um, you're you know, recording while looking at the notes on Google Docs or whatever. And so um, mm-hmm. taking them through that um, and also giving them a chance to do editing themselves individually beforehand. And so um, that that podcast that we build, do you want to build a podcast? I give them just the raw footage and tell them, okay, your assignment for next class is to find some music on uh, Creative Commons and add it. and we're going to listen to all of the different stylistic choices that you all made. But also, this is their chance to get their hands dirty and find out. Oh, it's not just a matter of clicking two buttons, and all of a sudden I have lovely background music. I have to, you know, take out all the background noise and do X, Y, and Z. So I think by the time they get to the actual project, they understand the work that goes into it. Um, but even even beyond that, that's one of the things about breaking them off into those roles so even if you do have your hosts versus your script writers versus your editors, you know, they still have um, pieces right of their of the other people's jobs and so Yeah, the script writers, you did the bulk of your job when you did that, but now you have to help the editor and make sure that in the audio, it sounds the way it's supposed to sound when you wrote it, right? And that sort of thing. And so your feedback is still needed. um, And the editors might not be actually hosting and recording, but Even though your voice isn't on screen, you still need to be there when your friends are recording and that way you can say, hey, uh, you missed this whole chunk that we talked about and that sort of thing. So, um, So yeah, making sure that they have the roles and the responsibilities in their head, but also giving them the practice in terms of getting their hands dirty with the tools.
0: That's excellent. And I also want to tell you now, because I feel as long as I say that I'm going to steal an idea, then it's okay if I steal an (laughs) idea. Um, That I I love that idea of um, having everyone find their own music for something. I could see that transferring over even into um, okay, the task is we've all read this novel. If you were to create a podcast about it, not even doing it, just if you were to create a podcast about analyzing this novel, um, what song would you pick, right? Even a task like that will help you to talk about tone and mood and things like that so that's fantastic
1: one of the things that i show them it's not a podcasting thing but it's an absolutely hilarious youtube uh, video is someone put teen comedy music against the harry potter trailers and so it's like it turns harry potter into a teen comedy instead of like a magical mystical fantasy and so it's one of the things that i show them to be like hey do you see how this changed your entire expectation of what this movie is going to be, even though you already probably know what this movie is. And so we kind of talk about that, but it's the same idea, right? Of um, you're going to come in with like horror movie music in front of our peanut butter and jelly sandwich podcast. And I'll come in (laughs) with, you know, fantasy, epic score, orchestral music. And we're going to talk about like what expectations that sets up and that sort of thing. I love it so much. And I'm going to need you to send me the link to that video. Um,
0: (laughs) So, I, I have found that um, sometimes I grow sad when I see the stack of papers that I have to grade. Um, even if once I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, this is actually, it's great to hear from my students. Um, sometimes just that stack, right? I'm just like, oh, sadness. Um, but I found that I am genuinely uh, more excited and and it's actually a little less time consuming for me to to review and to give feedback on assignments when they're in a podcast or video form. So are you looking for ways to spice up those reading response activities that you assign every semester? Um, what about having them create those as response podcasts instead? And again, they don't have to be very long. You can figure out, um, Lauren, what would you, if you were to make up a very loose uh, rule for what the equivalent is of um, the amount of words on a page versus minutes of, of speaking when it's not in script form, but more like, you know, like 350 words on a research paper. How, how what would you say is the conversion?
1: Ooh, that's hard. Um, so I'm letting my students this semester do it. And I told them if they write it down, it should be two pages. I don't care if that's double spaced or single spaced because some of us need to be a little bit more wordy with our responses, but it should be about two pages. And so if you're thinking about, um, how long it takes you to read through two pages of text, make your audio response that long, which is, which is kind of hard, (laughs) because it's not a solid rule. um, And some of them will, will ask you for more, more strict stuff. Um, But then, you know, you can say, okay, for the first couple, just write two pages and then record it and see how long it takes you. And that's how long you should make the other ones.
0: And I, really appreciate that you talked about them still writing a script right one of the things that i think makes some faculty leery about podcasts um is that that there are many podcasts where they're sort of like off the cuff and so then you know it becomes sort of like james joyce uh you know not the good kind of of consciousness (laughs) um and and that's a skill set that i don't think we have equipped our students with how to be doing stream of consciousness and still have intellectual thoughts. So for the most part, you want them to have something planned ahead of time. But as you progress, you can say, okay, this time, you know, if you know, if you, now that we've been doing them for a while, you could just have an outline, right. Um, so that you can kind of get them to the point where they feel like it's quote more natural. Cause I know that's, that's something I've heard students say, right? Like, do I have to have it be a script? Cause it won't feel natural. And it's like, well, I want it to feel, um,
1: natural but I need it to be scripted so you know there's that kind of debate yeah and I will say that this was one of the biggest surprises to me when I first started letting them do podcast reading responses was that some of them most of them it's like they turn on their mic and they talk to you for a hot minute and that's it but it's still kind of fun to listen to Mm -hmm. Um, and they still put thought into it because there's just something about I'm now speaking to my professor instead of writing at a computer that i will then let a robot hoover up in a second (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and it's like it's just different there's something different about it so it's not that they don't put more thought into it but um or that they put more thought into it it's just um it's a different sort of way of thinking about it and you definitely hear that come through but it is a little bit more casual i will say that so if you are expecting uh formality from your students. Just let them know up front and that way they know, you know, I need to script this because they want, you know, formal speech, not, not the more casual podcast feel. Um, But there will be a handful of students in every single class who take this and run. So Their reading responses might be, you know, a minute to two minutes long. They will still have intro music. They will still have sound effects. They will still have gone and found a clip from Marvel's Avengers somewhere and spliced (laughs) it in as their examples. It does not matter. And so there are like, just be prepared for the students who, you know, you tell them it should be a two minute recording and you get something that's five minutes and you're going, wait, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, because it will happen. Those are the fun ones. Um, so our next one is Vox Pop, um, and this is another way to research. So this is another really fun thing that they can do, especially if you have, um, if you have classes where you're teaching the students about interviewing, surveying, getting kind of popular opinion about certain things. Um, and so this teaches them to build something with voices, uh, and it also can teach them very. Uh, very good lessons about the way that we can manufacture certain things Mm -hmm. with voices. So um, this is something where they have a topic, um, maybe they introduce it in some sort of narrative format. Maybe they just ask a question. So it's, you know, the the straight up survey form of going and asking people things. But then they take their responses and instead of it being basically just like, a research, um, a research audio where maybe I ask Katie a series of ten questions and you just listen to her answers straight through. It's more of a popular popcorn. Um, this person, then this person, then this person. So I might ask Katie, you know, what is the best place to eat on our campus, and then um, I'll ask another person the same question, another person the same question. But instead of listening to them as individual recordings you're going to hear me introduce the topic. Here's why I'm talking about food choice on Trinity campus. This is a huge issue for students, yada, yada. Um, So we went out and we asked uh, people about places to eat at Trinity and food choice at Trinity. And then you'll start to hear all of the different voices come in um, with their responses. And it can be really cool Um, and it can uh, be another Thing in the student's uh, interviewing toolkit, right? Because we tend to think of interviews as I sit down in my Oprah chair and you sit down in your guest chair and we ask each other questions that way. Um, but this gets them out into the community and can teach them uh, ways in which to engage with the community and do this type of research, um, but then also how to produce with it, right? Um, and also, as I said, Uh, how this might be used uh, in a bad way to kind of manufacture the responses you want or build a narrative that uh, that isn't necessarily true to what the research shows. Uh, So you definitely want to have those discussions about ethics when you're doing these sorts of projects. Um, But it can be a really powerful project for kind of um, getting them to understand those sorts of ethical situations that they're going to be in.
0: And what's interesting is much like um, a video recording we we get to see or in this case here very explicitly who and who is not speaking up right um so that you know i've been in literature classes where i don't think anyone blinked twice that all of the writers were men but if i heard a podcast that was asking a series of questions that could very easily and should very easily be asked of multiple people and all i heard were male voices right i think i might be kind of icked out right and so it i think it allows for people to think about the the voices being represented I have a question, though. So um, like if it was a documentary, they, you know, at the bottom, it'll tell you like who the person is. Right. And oftentimes it'll show it every time because you're like, who is that person again in? Is there a strategy for for that in, in podcasts? Because you don't want every time for them to be like, Sally, my answer is or <laughs> um, or do you not even usually
1: introduce the a name or an identity with the voice or does it depend? It depends so um and this is another conversation that you have to have in preparation with your students of um is this a is this a popular uh project so something where we are going out into the masses and we are going to get a lot of different opinions um and you know, maybe have them sign a waiver that this is going to end up on a podcast, you know, those sorts of things. But we're not necessarily going to go through and attribute credit to every single person um, in in the actual audio of the podcast itself, maybe on our podcast website, um, or in the show notes or somewhere, we say thank you to the 36 people who answered the survey. And mm-hmm. you know, we give that list, uh, if they even want that, right. Um, and that's part of the getting consent from people to use their voices, um, but then you can have situations where you know that you are going to talk to, for example, a lot of students want to um, interview the community they live in, so their fraternity or sorority or athletic team or the orchestra or things like that, and so if you know that you want to talk to 10 people in the orchestra about performance. Um, and what being an artist means to them, um, then maybe you do have a chance in your podcast to say, we spoke with these 10 people on their views of art and performance and give them a little bit of an introduction, but not every single time they speak. It's just some sort of something you either lead with or maybe end with.
0: Excellent. We've we've talked a lot about um, more analytical uses of of the podcast or ways that you can use it for analysis and synthesis. But there is a vibrant and has been since uh, radio days um, tradition of using uh, audio forms for fiction. And so you could have um, your students create fiction podcasts that are either more um, akin to like an audio book where they're reading the story themselves and maybe creating voices for the characters or, or something like that, or you could actually have them create an audio play. And that's what I did uh, in the spring. So normally I end up doing a group project. That's a, a film project for my creative expression class. Um, but that didn't work out because of, you know, COVID. So, um, I pivoted as we all did and had them make an audio play instead. And I was a little worried, um, that because, this might feel even more foreign to them than making a small film. And because of all the things that were going on that, that students might really struggle or push against it. But actually they, like you said, they just ran with it. Um, they, uh, what did they do? They, you know, found the sound effects through free sound effects um, and music through the creative commons and they acted it out and they did exactly what you said, Lauren, about playing around with like, okay, well, um, since we're not technically all in the same room, cause we can't be, Um, let's all film in our closet so that it sounds more or less like we're in the same spot. And it was really interesting to see how it, how it worked out. And then we listened to them. And again, I was a little worried that people wouldn't be as engaged as they are with watching films, but they were a hundred percent. Um, and there was that additional challenge of, okay, now technically you have the budget of, of a, you know, like big film because you could have anything happen, right? There could be a monster. Um, but you have to describe it, not, vi- not have it be, you know, a CGI. So how are you going to do that? So there were some really interesting challenges to the assignment
1: that just my students really stepped up to. That's really awesome. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of fun too. <laughs> um, another idea is just the podcast research essay. So there's a couple of ways that you can do this. Um, so, The idea is that the big essay of the semester is delivered as a podcast in some way, shape, or form. Um, And so I've seen this done a couple of ways, which is just, it's straight up just the podcast. The whole thing uh, is they research, they get all of their sources together, um, and they write something um, that synthesizes all of those, and then they turn it into a podcast. But I've also seen some really cool things done with podcasting as a part of the essay. So... Um, having their essay in a digital format on a website and every few paragraphs they break and they give a shorter podcast Mm. Um, and it's something that is meant to kind of supplement whatever it is that they're talking about so um, if you've got a student who did a um, you know an essay on visual analysis and propaganda then every once in a while they would, you know, they would use the written form um, to kind of work out their argument, but also to give you the visuals um, of the different types of propaganda, but every once in a while they would break and they would have a section of the thing that was their podcast with like a, a little clip of what propaganda sounded like over the radio and talking about that a little bit. So it was a really cool way of tying those things together. I think the easier version is just having them do the research and then turn it into a podcast. But if you do have students who uh, kind of want to give you something a little bit different or um, they're worried that they have something that's highly visual that they want to talk about so they want the space to write and add pictures and that sort of thing, then the the essay with that multimedia incorporated into it is another way of doing that.
0: I could see um, you asking them to have all like um, footnotes be <laughs> in and in... Uh, verbal form or audio form, like that'd be really interesting, right? Because then (laughs) it kind of reinforces what a footnote to do, which is almost like, Hey buddy, did you really like this? Let me tell you a little more. Uh, And so, yeah, I I had never thought about that. That's great. Um, Another thing that I think is helpful for the students in terms of understanding the content, right? So a lot of this has been maybe like things that they're doing and creating on their own. But if you're just wanting to see how well they're engaging with the, the content directly, um, you could ask them to have to summarize, okay, we had a fifty minute lecture on um the genetic history of the sphinx cat and why they're hairless now <laughs> now that yeah yeah' sure that, very specific i know I know it really was um hashtag i want a hairless cat um so if you uh Wanted, you could say, okay, you've listened to 50 minutes. Your assignment is to create a short 60-second, three-minute podcast that is summarizing uh, what you saw as the most significant elements of the class lecture. And you could either have it be that they take, like, half the class takes the first 25 minutes and the other class take, or half of the class takes the last 25 minutes. And then they kind of listen to each other's um, so that you're creating a collaborative um, podcast effect. Um, or you could just have them, them do it for the entire thing, depending on whether or not you're wanting to teach them the strength of, of creating collaborative notes, essentially, um, or synthesizing. But again, I think that's a really interesting way that forces them to, to do what I had to do um, a lot in high school, which was tell all my classmates what the book was about that they hadn't read. Um, and then I did so much better on the quizzes, right? Because I was like, I know this. Um, and it's, it's a sort of similar effect.
1: Yeah, I can also see it being something that a, a way of kind of rethinking the discussion leader assignment or the like class um, class reading quiz, um, that sort of thing, where um, instead of saying, OK, pick a day to be discussion leader, you have pick one of the weeks where you want to be on the weekly roundup podcast. And that's another thing where um where at the end of the week, you get together with say five students and you summarize that week that you've just done, kind of reinforcing the content and maybe checking even for some questions that they might have. But again, like you said, like building, rebuilding that work that's already been done in a collaborative way. Yeah, that is cool. Um, So the last idea that we have for you is the podcast remix. And this is something that I've done a lot in my class and it's really fun um and it is just when they pick something they've done over the course of the semester and they turn it into a podcast so this is really great for getting at the root of what revision actually means Um, and so a lot of times we get students and we give them an assignment to revise something they've written, for example, Um, and then we get the revision back. And especially before, you know, Google Docs told all their business with the version history, we we would look through and think like, I don't think they changed anything. Did they change anything? And, or, you know, even now with Google Docs telling all their business with the version history, you look and you see that they, you know, took out a comma here and there, maybe change some words, hit, hit up the dis- thesaurus and made it a longer word, that sort of thing. Um, and so we, we tend to get a lot of that. And so this is a cool way of getting at the idea that when we revise something, um, we're taking it a step farther, right, than we were able to take it initially. Um, and we're also changing it in, in a lot of cases for a different audience. And so if I write a paper, that's for a graduate student seminar, and then I decide to do revisions and submit it to an actual academic journal, then that's a very different audience that I'm writing for. And that means that I can't just go out and take some you know, comma splices out of there and change a couple of words. It actually needs to be stylistically changed. I need to think about the, the content itself and whether I need to add more or take some away, those sorts of things. So it's great for teaching them um, those sorts of things. Uh, but it's also, it can also give them that sort of burst of creative thinking at the end of the semester too. So, um, how do you take a visual argument and turn it into an audio recording? So if my student has made this really amazing visual poster on, I don't know, an advertisement for Old Spice deodorant or something. They created one from scratch and they have a whole new marketing idea for it. How do you make that into a podcast, right? And so how do you turn the ideas and the design choices that went into it into something that you listen to? And for a lot of them, because I have had a few students do that, it was talking about the design choices. So talking about, um, here's why I decided that they needed a different color scheme entirely for this one particular type of deodorant. Um, and here's why I did this and that, and here's what went into the production of it. Um, but talking about that in conjunction with maybe other design um, other design issues that came up and those sorts of things. Um, And a lot of times students will think, well, that sounds kind of boring. Would you really want to listen to that? And that's when it's good to have podcasts about random stuff in your back pocket, um, because there are tons of design uh, podcasts out there. There's Wireframe from um, Adobe and those sorts of things where they do talk about these things. And it is interesting to listen to. So getting those um, in front of them, getting their ears trained to how different Um, podcast can be is really important before you get to this part of when they're turning something into a podcast. Because even if they're just remixing a paper, um, so you know, a paper they wrote in the first half of the semester, um, it's still good to kind of get them thinking about what are all of the different ways that I could do this? Um, Does it have to be just me reading the paper? Absolutely not. It doesn't. How do I bring in other people if I want to do that and those sorts of things.
0: I had a student do this once, um, and he was he was a, a fine writer, but his it was a video, but but most of it was um, audio. Uh, it it suddenly became engaging because he was like, "Could I begin with a more creative introduction?" And I was like, "Uh huh, yes, please." And then he did, and suddenly his so what factor for the paper of why um, his argument, which had to do with um, the importance of looking at environmental issues specifically in science fiction, right? It suddenly had more relevance. Um, And there's such a neat transferable skill here that as you were talking, I I just was like, this is what students need. And that is how to take the same content and be able to deliver it to different, to different stakeholders. And it doesn't matter whether you are um, in something that seems like a quote, more obvious realm, like um, the field of of advertising, Um, every field, right? Like if you're a doctor, your job is to know how to, to be able to express what is happening not only to your fellow doctors, but also to the patient. Um, and and being able to learn how to revise like that is just so very useful. So we've talked about some great examples for success, but Lauren, you promised us that the, like, before we got there, that for everyone, and I think everyone initially has a moment of concern, right? That have like questions or concerns of like, but can I do this? To which the answer is yes, but like, but I have more questions. So Let's talk about some of the questions that you and I have heard often um, from people that are sort of the the moments of resistance to bringing podcasting into the classroom.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest one, and let's just start here, is how do I grade these fairly? (laughs) Um, Because these feel like really creative projects. They're things that students bring um, a lot of their own interest into. So how do we make sure that we're grading Um, The things that they've created fairly. Um, And this is one of the points in just your course design where it's so important to have specific course outcomes. And so I think we all kind of get burnt out on writing course outcomes Uh at some point. Um, But this is the place where it really comes in handy to have the course outcome that doesn't just say uh you know student will engage with multimodal communication <laughs> and have it be something where it's like student will prove that they can create a long-form project in at least two modes of communication including x y and z and that way when you're podcasting for that you know that you're you know what you're going for and that was kind of a general example but um but yeah so reminding them or or reminding yourself and then them that it's not just well you know, Katie started her podcast with Tchaikovsky, but I'm more of a Mahler fan. And so that's why you you gotta be that sort of thing. It's not that. It's that Katie went through the entire editing process and I can hear it in her podcast, right? And so, whereas um, there might be background noise in someone's, there might be a, a terrible screaming, whining sort of sound that's going on. I know that Katie, went through and did auto duck so she took down the sound for her background music and she cleaned up her audio so that I can hear her properly. Um, I know that she took the extra step even though I didn't say that they had to have uh, a theme song, she went through um, Creative Commons and found herself some music. And added that and so those sorts of things stylistically but then also we're talking about course content right and so you know if the course contents there that can be the biggest part of your grading is that okay did you articulate these three concepts out of the six that we were studying for this part of the course? Um, Did you make sure that your examples were, um, you know, real life examples from the news? Did you make sure that your sources were all academic? Or did you make sure that you had at least two points from other people or opposing viewpoints? Those sorts of things um, that are tied more to how we would even just traditionally write an essay, right? Um, But did you talk about what you were supposed to talk about? Or was it, you know, a five-minute podcast of you talking about whether or not Pop Tarts or ravioli? So, um, so starting with those course outcomes, but then moving into making sure that the project itself is them showing that they know how to apply the content that has been taught over the course of the semester.
0: And this ties into another question, and and all these um, sort of issues kind of tie into each other, and that is, is that. I often hear people say, "But I don't know how to make a podcast. So how can I evaluate one?" And there's there's a couple different parts to that answer. Um, and the the first one is is that, yes, admittedly, um, most of us assign the types of works that that we do ourselves. If we're um, in the humanities, we tend to write a lot of um, article link things. We tend to assign that the equivalent thereof. Um, if you're in the sciences, you tend to write a lot of um, lab reports that then become you know, bigger pieces until you ask your students, right? So we, we often do that. But um, first off, chances are, if you're excited about this idea, you've heard a podcast before in your life. And if you haven't, go listen to some, right? So one of the ways that you can evaluate is by, is by listening. Because the thing that I think is so important to remember is that we all have been trained to be critical evaluators, right? That's part of our, of our training that we have received and or um, taught ourselves, right? This um, is how to evaluate something critically as a thinking creature in, in the world. Um, and so you're constantly making evaluative decisions. And so it's about sort of articulating those. I do personally think it's important for you to to try it. Um, not to try, like, I'm going to make a two hour podcast for my first time. Just do one of the little things that we talked about. Make a flash podcast, um, make a little podcast, uh, for your students to listen to, um, so that you can have a sense of, oh yeah, the editing really, really takes a significant amount of time or, or, oh, I didn't realize how long it would actually take for me to write an organic filling script, right? So that you can kind of see, and then you can give your students, um, Pro tips, right? Like, hey, just to let you know. Um, when it comes to this, here are some things that I found were useful. And you don't have to be, you know, a regular podcaster to to help students learn because you're not asking them to be um, professional podcasters. I I also want to say that I think it's really important that just you think about this, but also that you help your students think about this. And that is, is that um, we we all spend a good chunk of our time, whether or not we realizing it evaluating the relationship between content and form and so helping our students to understand um that yeah it wasn't an issue if i'm not a big fan of that particular classical musician it's hey for your um podcast on the delights of this um animal farm you played the opening music to jaws right so <laughs> you know like, um so the example i always give uh, that hopefully will mean something to to some of you is that technically in its most loosest sense the stories of E.T., the film, um, and the story of the film Alien are the same. Technically, both are stories about aliens that just want to reach out and touch some people. Right? <laughs> However, if you've seen either film and if you haven't, you should see them or you should just assume that Lauren's laughter is an indicator that those are not the same stories. Because the form of one is this delightful like coming of age magic moment, Steven Spielberg style, and the other is uh, straight up horror film. Um and so it's the forms that make those decisions that create really adorable and or terrifying aliens that you do or don't want uh, to gently touch you. Um, and so just help your students to see that relationship. And then you'll be able to help them know how you're going to evaluate them.
1: I wasn't ready for that example. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's my go to example, because like the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that there is a, a beautiful paper ra- waiting to be
1: written about how those two are two actually uh, the same film. Just <laughs> minor, a couple of details. Glorious. Um, so, one of the other questions that I get when I do workshops on podcasting in the classroom is, "Isn't this just a gimmick, or isn't this just kind of, you know, some new fad or trend that everybody is getting into?" What was the word you use, Katie? Edutainment. Yes. Um, that That's sort of gross thing. Word yeah yeah and so uh the short answer is no podcast over no i'm kidding um so no it's not um i think that if this is kind of where podcasting for yourself once or twice uh before you assign it to students is going to come in handy because once you have edited one podcast you're like okay this uh this is this is work this is work and so um So on that side of things, again, it's giving them more tools in their digital toolkit. It's giving them an expansion of the skill set that they're going to need. Um, Entering the workforce, creating new art for themselves. You know, artists, they have to promote themselves somehow. And podcasts are super popular ways to do that. Um, So anything that they choose to go into, there's a level of needing to know how to function in the digital world and podcasting the skills that they learn in podcasting help them expand that knowledge that they already have but also in terms of just the the content itself um it can be as serious as you want to make it right and so there are like katie said podcasts for absolutely everything um the the example that i gave about the eggs and the Birds that lay their eggs on cliffs, like that's a silly example from an incredibly serious podcast um, called Behind the Bastards. It's a podcast about the worst people in history, and mm. so there are there are episodes of that that want to make you cry. And the reason they did the one on this uprising that started over mm. eggs is because they needed a break from all of the silly stuff. Um, and so when we think about the actual content, um, if you're worried that this is kind of you know just a sort of fluffy thing it can be a really serious meaningful task uh for the students and also in terms of uh the idea of it being a gimmick so the idea of it being kind of a cheap trick to get students engaged um the first answer is i'm okay as long as they're engaged yeah, but also yeah but also again going back to the amount of work it takes to podcast it's not just a trick. It's it's an actual process that they're learning and going into because it might feel gimmicky because this thing is popular. Right. Um, podcasts are popular and probably a handful um, to maybe even the whole class of students has their own favorite podcast that they're listening to constantly but just because it's popular doesn't mean they know the work that goes into it or they know how to articulate themselves in this particular communication landscape and so when we're talking about using it um, using it in the classroom we're not just talking about you know having fun in a loose kind of way with the subject we're talking about making meaningful communication about things that interest the students and allowing them to bring those interests into an academic setting in a way that they're already probably at least a little bit comfortable with, um, have heard of before, or in a way that makes them comfortable with the academic work that we're doing.
0: And it also cracks me with this idea that it's like newfangled, because it's like only if you consider the radio newfangled. But That's like, true, too. <laughs> um, you know, the word podcast might be a newer uh, term, but as long as we've had the the ability to, to project, um, you know, voices over wires, right? We've had radio and we've had versions of this um I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the the amount of effort that is involved not just in creating but um, the podcast itself but in creating the um, ideas and the content because one one thing that I, I sometimes hear is people be like yeah but you know I'm gonna I'm just this is great I'd love to do it but I'm gonna go ahead and stick with the traditional research paper because I need them to know how to write Um, and I, to that, I would say that, but you are teaching them how to write, um, because you can still ask them to do annotated bibliographies. You can still ask them to create drafts that you provide feedback on. Um, but oftentimes I, I find myself just sort of throwing this out to my students all the time without actually requiring them to do it because how can I require them if I'm not around them but I'll say you know if you want a good way to revise read your essay aloud uh, right and hear how it sounds but since I'm never sitting beside them in their dorm room I can just hope that they do that but know that they may not super easy thing to, re- to say okay you're going to now record it and I want you to cut co- to comment on where your papers didn't quite work based on having heard it, right? Or, or give it to someone else to listen to. In other words, um, listening to a podcast can actually help people better understand how they're writing because they're having to think about it in a different way. Um, and so it is still teaching those same skills. Yes, they're slightly different. You tend to be a little bit more explicit in your transitions um, when you are speaking or doing a presentation. Than you do when you're writing something where people can go back and like look at it, but but that's just a, an issue of, of style, right? That's not that has nothing to do with not teaching them to write.
1: And I would add to that too, um, especially if you are tending to the attending to the issues of accessibility in your classroom, which you should be. Writing the podcast goes right along with recording it. Because even if you're not writing in terms of a script on the front end, you should be writing a transcript on the back end. Um, And so that's one thing that and, and, you know, writing in script form is obviously different than writing in essay form. But there are you can still have that, you know, formal grammar check. Um, And even if you're using slang in the podcast, you still have to write it out in the in the transcript so that people know what the idea is that you're getting at right and so there is still an element of writing that should take place um, somewhere in the production of the podcast itself um, even if it's a you know short 60 second one yeah. so
0: yeah and the remix option gives you a chance to have a little bit of having your cake and eating it too right if you're still not convinced, then you can say, okay, you're going to write a traditional research paper, but you're also going to do this other thing.
1: Um, And then the last issue that comes up a lot is help. Technology scares me. Um, And so, yeah, yeah. So podcasting can be as intricate as you want to make it. It can look like you're going into an actual radio studio and recording and, you know, doing all sorts of fun stuff. Or it can be as simple as hitting the voice memo button on your phone. Um, so there are lots of different tools, but all of them have a red button somewhere that says record. And so if you can do that, then you can put together a pretty cool podcast. And so um, the, the biggest learning curve is in the editing. Um, but there are things like Camtasia. There are things like Adobe Premiere Rush where you literally just click and drag stuff. Um, And so if you're looking to try it out before you give it to your students, but the technology side of things is scaring you, um, like Katie mentioned earlier, there are tons of creatives online who document their entire process. And if you wanna see how unscary technology can be um you can go to youtube and find uh podcasters i think the secret life of weddings does it uh, where they actually record themselves recording um and record themselves editing uh and they don't use any kind of fancy editing tools i think they used to use audacity even which is free and super easy um but uh but they have a great a great podcast with intro music and sometimes sound effects and those sorts of things and so Um, And also, it doesn't always have to be super extra. And so um, Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History podcast is something where he has a little intro that splices in uh, lots of different historic moments, but then the rest of it is just him talking to you in a very soothing voice about interesting things that happened during history Um, and so it doesn't have to be something where you are splicing in like background music and sound effects and uh, lots of different interviews or anything like that it can be very very simple and so if you're scared of the technology the first thing is to hit up google Uh, the second thing is to hit up youtube and the third thing is to just try it yourself Um, and I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised at the things that you can create just playing around with the tools.
0: Hopefully, this brief list of ideas has set your creative wheels spinning. Um, just keep in mind, the first time you bring podcasts into the class in any way, it probably will feel a little overwhelming. And like almost everything else when it comes to teaching, uh, it takes about three rounds to figure it out, right? So by the time you teach it a third time, you're like, let's do podcast now. Whereas the first time you're like, um, podcasts, right? Um, but, but it all works out. And, and we just kind of want to assure you that, that podcasts can both be content compatible um, and relevant to our students. And really, what more could we
1: ask for? Absolutely. And the last thing we'll leave you with is if you want an easy startup, an easy way to... Throw podcasts into your class that's relatively low stakes for both you and your students. Think about your course and its overall topic and the way that it's set up. And then just ask your students week to week to make a podcast directory of existing podcasts that are relevant to the course content. So every week, um, every other week, maybe once a month, however many times you want, um, your students come to you with a podcast they found on neurobiology or on the history of the roman empire or whatever it is um this is an easy way of tying in the idea of podcasts and again focusing more on the analysis and training their ears to evaluate it. And it also saves you the work of digging them up yourself um, so that the next time you want to incorporate podcasts, you already have a bank of them (laughs) that go with your class. And so you can just listen for um, what you wanna use. Um, But you can even have the students rank the podcast that they find in terms of things like relevance or reliability of the sources that were used and just general engagement or enjoyment. So that's an easy way to get started. So next time we are going to talk about how to incorporate mental health into your syllabus. And for those of you that are listening to
0: this episode in the middle of a semester, just because you didn't build it into your syllabus uh, at the start doesn't mean it can't still be incorporated uh, into your class no matter when uh, you decide to start adding mental health into your classes.
1: See you next time.